I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Silicon Slopes is having its big annual summit, and some of the biggest names in the tech industry are making their way to Utah, and that is taking place right now, including Apple CEO Tim Cook. And if you think it's easy to get those kind of headliners to come to an event, uh, you got to really rethink that. As you look at the summit, the Silicon Slopes summit here in the state of Utah, we're going to look behind the headline of the headliners and figure out how they actually got here. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it's a big day for Utah's Silicon Slopes and uh, the big tech uh, summit happening today. And joining us to uh, talk a little bit about the backstory and how much of this came about in terms of some of these key tech giants, Utah Senior Senator Mike Lee joins us on the line. Senator, thanks for coming back on the program. Thanks so much, Boyd. Good to be with you. Well, everyone knows that uh, Silicon Slopes has become a uh, an integral part of the economy here in the state of Utah. It's why uh, Utah continues to thrive in many ways. And, of course, looking at uh, technology that's always front and center in the news. Uh, but this is one of those where you have an opportunity today as, as part of this annual summit uh, to bring in some of those leaders of some of those large tech organizations. Tell us a little bit about your connections and your relationships there. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we brought Mark Zuckerberg, the C- CEO of Facebook, out, and uh, he was the guest speaker. He came at my invitation. And uh, so for, for the next Silicon Slopes, uh, I decided to ask Tim Cook if he would join us. And he said yes. COVID, of course, got in the way and delayed the initial appearance um, uh, because of the fact that, you know, things weren't happening. But um, very, very happy about the fact that it's uh, finally happening. This one's coming together. It's happening today, and Tim Cook's going to be here. Oh, that's fantastic. And I actually remember the first time uh, Tim Cook came to the Senate office yes. there in Washington. And as I, re- I recall, it was not only a good conversation, he also helped you with a little bug you, that you had on your iPhone. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I had a very uh, handsome chief of staff there <laughs> in, in order to witness all that. But yeah, as, as you remember, uh, Boyd, we, we talked about a number of things at the beginning of the meeting, everything from antitrust to data security, data privacy, uh, uh, the future of tech. Toward the end of the meeting, I just said, OK, you know, uh, mine is the first Senate office to have incorporated all Apple computers uh, a, 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 into our office equipment inventory. 
and I've got a few questions just as an Apple user and uh, asked a few of them. And then I and then I said, okay, and then this one is just about my phone. My phone's been seizing. <laughs> it's just been freezing at the most inopportune times lately, and I can't figure it out. It's the coolest thing, Boyd. I, I don't know if you remember this, but he, he went through – he asked me a series of five, six, seven questions, all of which have either yes or no or short answers. And just by listening to my answers on those questions, he said, okay – I think what you've got here is a corrupt data file, but somehow gotten in there. So what you're going to need to do is uh, reset your phone after backing it up to the cloud and then reset them one by one through the cloud rather than through whatever computer you've used to back it up in the past. And the next day he had somebody from his office call to follow up to make sure I knew how to do it. That person sent me a, a, a list and I did it and it worked. I, I thought that was incredibly impressive. This guy running a trillion dollar corporation. Uh, takes time to discuss all those issues with me, and then is able to to spot, diagnose, and uh, and and then fix an iPhone problem, which I was afraid would never be fixed. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> it, it was a, it was extraordinary. I have to say, for a CEO of a company, it, it was like a master class in how to do a customer service call. Uh, as you said, he the questions were perfect. They got the right answers. And then, of course, the, the back end was equally impressive uh, that someone was calling from his customer service department that he had now empowered uh, to serve a, a client. It was uh, it was a masterful uh, thing looking at how CEOs really should run organizations, uh, really being part of the solution, no matter what that problem is. And you're exactly right. It was the follow-up that made all the difference because I, I'm not sure – I would have had the courage to, to follow through with it on my own because, you know, these felt like uh, big steps for me. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it, it worked. It worked like a charm. So I'll, yeah. I'll always be grateful to him. Uh, but over the years, uh, he and I have um, have since then, I think that meeting was in 2015. And over the years, I've uh, met with him probably on average once or twice a year. And then on top of that, we'll usually talk on the phone another three or four times a year. And uh, gotten to know him a little bit through that, and I uh, consider him a friend, and uh, certainly someone I look up to. Yeah, and as you look at the tech sector, I love the fact that you can have conversations that that range from antitrust issues to data privacy to data security. Uh, obviously, those are all big issues uh, and big things happening on everything from social media platforms to big tech companies. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, you hope get discussed today uh, at Silicon Slopes at this great uh, convening today uh, in terms of what it means for businesses, what it means for consumers? Obviously, it's always a good thing anytime you can get people in the tech space talking about data security and data privacy, in particular, how best to protect children and adolescents from the risks that they're constantly bombarded with in the online environment. Well, we've got to do everything we can, especially with recent reports, uh, about how much potential damage this stuff can inflict on children, uh, 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 about what the best protocols are for protecting children, uh, not only from predators themselves, but in some cases from technology itself and from its excessive use. Excessive use, especially among children and adolescents, uh, can have real lasting harmful impacts. And, of course, one of the hot-button topics that has been uh, going on over the last couple of weeks, the Facebook whistleblower, of course, brought uh, a lot of issues relating to big tech, 
to the forefront in many national as well as local conversations. And lawmakers have finally found something that they can agree on when it comes to big tech. This is this is one of those issues where I think there is a lot of uh, bipartisan support in terms of uh, both sides of the aisle really coming together to to address some of these issues. What do you see in the in the months ahead uh, facing some of these issues? Well, look, um, there there are a number of issues uh, that affect the tech space in particular, where in some instances we've got to be careful not to adopt federal legislation that's too sweeping or that tries to be too comprehensive because, uh, for the simple reason that if if it tries to do too much, uh, it, it will end up being unable to pass. Secondly, um, we've also got to be careful about the way in which we try to regulate to make sure that we're not protecting incumbents, uh, to make sure that we're still leaving space for innovators, uh, people who aren't yet a Fortune 50 or even a Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 company uh, for a, a true startup to arise. And when you get too big of a, of a regulatory framework, framework in place, it makes it that much harder uh, for others to compete. It's also important that as we establish uh, guardrails in this area, um, and especially in the data security, data privacy arena, that we not set this up in such a way that we're um, – uh, inadvertently likely to uh, hold in place technologies that are current now but will soon be obsolete. Mm-hmm. Imagine, for example, if if we had gotten into comprehensive regulations of, uh, I don't know, stereo systems at, at a time when 8-track uh, tape players w- were all the rage, uh, we might still be fuddling with those uh, the, the, those. <laughs> cumbersome machines uh, to the detriment of listeners everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's so important. I, I want to drill down just on the the one point you raised there, because I, I think this is one we've been discussing this a lot on the program, and I know it's something you're passionate about in terms of being careful that uh, the big sweeping regulations, while all businesses, especially big businesses, will, will whine and, and moan and complain a little bit, in many ways it further entrenches them because they can afford, the big companies can afford lobbies and lawyers and uh, all of those kind of folks, uh, and it does keep that uh, entrepreneurial startup uh, who can't afford to, to match all those regulations or to have the kind of staff to compete with that kind of stuff, uh, which actually ends up inhibiting innovation and it actually inhibits what we're actually delivering to customers. That's exactly right. In fact, we saw an example of this just recently in the last uh, week or so as Facebook was uh, getting hit with a lot of criticism uh, about what its products are doing to children. Um, Facebook put out an announcement, and the announcement was something to the effect that, look, yeah, I think all of this demonstrates that what we need is – some sort of federal regulatory system over all the Internet. And I, I thought, well, that's kind of a strange response coming from a company that has recently had some leaks indicating that they knew about uh, harmful aspects of their business model. Uh, but on the other hand, it makes perfect sense that they would be calling for that. Number one, it takes the attention away from them. And number two, once a comprehensive set of internet regulations are put in place, guess who benefits? A really big established tech company. 
that has an army of uh, lawyers, accountants, lobbyists, and compliance specialists at its beck and call and can make sure that the regulations uh, uh, more or less meet their liking. But perhaps even more importantly, um, once those are put in place, big market incumbents like Facebook are going to be better equipped to operate in that space than any new innovative company, uh, a would-be nascent competitor, could possibly uh, hope to be able to bring to the table. So I think that really is a risk. Now, they, they, may, uh, they may genuinely believe that they want comprehensive federal regulation, but I would ask the question, would Facebook have ever come into existence had Facebook not been born in regulatory freedom? Yeah. I, I don't think it ever would. Yeah, such a such a great point. And I think it, it brings that all full circle right back to Silicon Slopes right here in the state of Utah, that many of these tech companies are coming to Utah because it does have a uh, a lighter regulatory regime from a state standpoint uh, that, again, makes a lot of that easier and, and making sure we can do those kinds of things uh, at the state level with the appropriate amount from the federal level uh, seems to be uh, part of the secret sauce here in the state of Utah. Indeed, indeed. Why Utah really is the best place in America, uh, one of the very best places in the world to do business. The regulatory sandbox initiative that we've got going here uh, shows that Utah puts its money where its mouth is and is willing to invite innovators of all stripes, of all backgrounds. Uh, We want innovation done here, and we're pretty good at it, as it turns out. Yeah. Utah Senior Senator Mike Lee, again, joining us on the line. Silicon Slopes, of course, happening, their big summit happening today. Uh, Senator Lee and uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook uh, as part of that program today. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Boyd. If you missed the first portion of our interview with uh, Senator Mike Lee and uh, describing his relationship, his connection uh, with Tim Cook, who, of course, is the CEO of the world's largest market cap corporation in Apple. And uh, I have to I have to go back. If you missed the first part, you get you've got to go back and listen to the podcast, uh, because I was there when uh, Senator Lee, as Senator Lee described, uh, this amazing customer service moment where you had the CEO of a trillion-dollar organization who could do a better customer service call than any customer service person I had ever seen. It was fascinating to watch. But to me, it spoke volumes about the kind of leader uh, that Tim Cook has been at Apple, that he actually knows what goes on when you call in with a problem about your iPhone or or your uh, MacBook computer. Uh, And so it it was just one of those where he knew it. He knew what questions to ask. He knew what processes to go through. He knew how to follow up to make sure things work. Uh, we often talk about leadership on this program, and, and I, I still vividly remember that day in the Senate office and Tim Cook demonstrating that leadership really is what leadership does. And every leader, uh, no matter how big the organization, should know how people actually do the work, what the jobs are, what skills it requires how hard it can be. Uh, Far too often we have leaders that are in ivory towers or off uh, doing uh, promotional events for themselves uh, or are simply kind of doing the the high-level stuff without understanding uh, what that means or what that does or or how one decision made in the C-suite of an organization is going to impact the frontline workers and the job to be done. So many mistakes are made in businesses because you have such a disconnect from what the work is, job to be done, and the leadership 
in terms of what they are trying to guide the company to do next. And to me, that's such an interesting thing to look at because those disconnects uh, often produce the biggest mistakes and the biggest failures in organization. Uh, And again, just uh, bringing full circle this conversation with Senator Mike Lee and everything happening out at Silicon Slopes. uh, It is an interesting lineup and an interesting connection with many of these tech giants uh, and uh, all those who are participating in that event today. And it is just a good reminder as to what is happening in the state of Utah, that because we have uh, great communities and a great free market economy and a light touch on regulations as it comes to businesses, uh, this is a place that's thriving as a laboratory of democracy, uh, and that's good. That's good for the citizens. That's, uh, that's good for everyone to see it flourish in that kind of way. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about the Biden agenda, where that is, where that isn't, And do people really support it? Do the voters support the agenda? Or is D.C. just so out of touch with what voters are doing? Christopher uh, Catalego from uh, Politico is going to join us next to talk about it. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 